Hello, I'm Joel McMahon, and I'd like to uh, welcome you to this latest podcast from Historic San Philip United Methodist Church. As we begin today, let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your ways are far greater than our ways and your thoughts far deeper than our thoughts. We thank you that you had a plan to redeem us, that you knew we were going to go astray, and you already had made a way for us to be brought into your fold. We thank you that you make all things new. We thank you that your face is toward the righteous and that you are close to the brokenhearted. You hear our prayers, and we thank you for that. You know our hearts. We thank you for that. Thank you for your daily powerful presence in our lives and that we can be assured no matter what we're facing, your heart is toward us, your eyes are over us, and your ears are open to our prayers. Thank you that you surround us with favor as with a shield and we are safe in your care. And Lord, we pray that you will be with us now as we look at your word and help us to draw life from it today. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Our scripture lesson is found in 1 Peter, the fifth chapter. We're going to be reading the sixth through the eleventh verses. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. After you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Well, I think that we would all agree that we're living in a time that's very complicated, to say the least. Uh, probably more tension in our nation than for many of us in our entire lives. And the political stuff going on, you see, is just one aspect of a tremendous spiritual upheaval in our nation. There's a battle going on, and it's ultimately a battle for the souls and minds of individuals and the soul of our nation. As we hear uh, Peter say in 1 Peter, uh, that uh, uh, the devil, our adversary, uh, he roams around like a lion looking for whom he may devour. And he is the one who is called the thief who comes but to kill and to steal and to destroy. 
and he is very much at work today. It's a challenging, exciting time to be the Lord's because our very culture is trying to pull us all to choose sides. It's not new, but it's heating up now. The first time I was really made aware of this is when I went off to seminary, and I thought that we were all on the same page. I thought we had all, in one way or another, really been called personally by the Lord to be preachers, that we had met the living Lord, that we knew he was alive and well and at work in the world today. And I thought I was with other guys that experienced the same thing that I had. And uh, then I started talking to uh, my fellow uh, students and uh, said, aren't you glad to know that Jesus is alive today and that he's just called us to this special work? And they said, uh, oh, guys like you get together on Wednesdays at noon uh, in a certain place. And uh, then uh, we turned, I turned to a friend of mine that was with me that was a brother in Christ. And, and uh, I, I, I said, we said, guys like us? And so we bitterly bopped over there on Wednesday and uh, we discovered, yes, these were guys like us. But the thing is, the way that the conversation started and the way that we got steered toward these guys like us was uh, somebody was picked up on what I was saying and they, they asked me, are you conservative or are you liberal? And I must say, I hadn't paid much attention to church vocabulary or anything like that before I was saved and the Lord called me into the ministry. And so I said, what, what do you mean by conservative or liberal? And I said, well, how do you view the Bible and, uh, uh, and, and, and what church is all about and uh, just different things like that? And so I thought, I thought, okay. I was very conservative in the actual application of the Bible to my life. So, and now then, if it's of God, I want it. So I must be a liberal. And so I'd tell them, oh, I'm a liberal. But what they were hearing wasn't lining up with what they meant by the label liberal or the label conservative. And so uh, they finally figured out where I was coming from, and they just hung a label on me that I was a conservative. But the thing is, it was difficult for them because some of the things I said sounded like the way that they thought, and some of the things I said sounded not at all like the way they thought. But we found this group of guys, and they were just like us. They were people who had met the living Lord, and he had made a difference in their lives, and they were there uh, at, uh, at, the, at seminary uh, just to get on with what the Lord had for them. And we worshiped together, we praised together, we prayed for one another and for our ministries, and we left that seminary different from it was when we first came. But uh, then, 
after a year or so, some of the guys that were in this group that were like us graduated and other guys came in and these new guys, they believed the Bible, but they didn't really believe in the moving of the Holy Spirit in the world today. And the fact that Jesus really, really transformed people. They, they were what I would call dry evangelicals. They loved the Bible and they thought it should be lived by, but they had blinders on and they couldn't see the truth that the Lord had spoken to the scribes and Pharisees when he said, you search the scriptures and in them you think you have life, but they point to me. They turned the Bible into a rule book and only they were actually the ones making up the rules. It was then that I discovered that there's only one side for true born again believers to be on and that's the Lord's side. If you live like that, you're going to consternate people living on any lower level because uh, they can't slap a label on you. You may seem conservative in some ways, and you may seem liberal in others when it comes to things like, uh, uh, well, let's see. You see, the enemy loves labels. Let's just face it. And the reason the enemy loves labels is because if you take on and identify with the label instead of the Lord, he has you. If he can divide you into different groups with different labels, black, white, Hispanic, men, women, right, left, liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, the list goes on and on. Are you on their side or are you on our side? Whenever you're faced with that question, you should always answer no. I'm not on your side and I'm not on their side. I'm on the Lord's side. I want to know what the Lord wants and that's all that I want. You see, we are the Lord's. If we choose a label to live by, you're going to be pushed into all the values that go along with that label. And it's easy to fall into following the label leaders and the label definers instead of the Lord. And that label can become your religion. And as Jesus told Satan, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. So may God's word from 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7, speak to our hearts today. Now, these words are spoken by Peter on the other side from where we saw Peter just a couple of weeks ago when I was uh, sharing a message with you. When Jesus told Peter to let down his nets, you'll recall that after they had fished all night and not caught anything, in obedience to Jesus, even though it didn't make any sense to him, 
he let down his net and brought in a tremendous catch of fish. We learned from that an important lesson, and the lesson is you do not have to understand completely in order to obey immediately. You'll call that this happened, or when this happened, uh, Peter suddenly realized in whose presence he was. And he fell to his knees and said, Depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. But Jesus didn't depart from him, did he? Instead, he said to him, Come, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. And you know what? Peter surely didn't understand completely, but he obeyed immediately. It says in Luke 5.11, when they had brought their boat to land, they left everything and followed him. That's what it means to obey immediately. He had no idea what it meant to be fishers of men. But he knew what it meant to follow him. And so it's now several years later uh, that Peter speaks. And during the interim from that time when he was called to follow the Lord, and this time he has spent over three years walking with his master, learning from him. He has seen miracles take place. He has seen Jesus transformed on the mountain and speak with Moses and Elijah with a glory he couldn't understand. He has seen his Lord arrested. He has denied him three times. And he's wept bitter tears over that. He's watched the Lord hung on a cross and die for his sins and for ours. He's walked on the beach with the Lord after his resurrection. And he has watched Jesus ascend into heaven after telling him and the other disciples that it was almost time to start fishing. And not understanding completely, but obeying immediately, they all headed to Jerusalem and they waited. They didn't understand what was going to happen completely, but they knew what the Lord told them today. Tarry there into, in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father comes. And then just as Jesus had promised, and he always keeps his promises, you know, always, the Holy Spirit came and he filled everyone there and it caused commotion and confusion and it drew a crowd and Peter preached. And when he had finished preaching, 3,000 souls were saved. You see, now Peter had become a fisher of men. There were several more sermons and several thousands more 
that came into the kingdom in a short period of time. And now, after all this experience, after all this time, Peter speaks to the young church that is forming and to the, all the rest of us these words. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Put yourself under his authority, under his control. And in under whose authority, whose control, to whom do we submit ourselves? Humble yourselves under the mighty, the all-powerful hand of God. And he will exalt you in due time. And you know, then he says, casting all your anxiety on him. And Peter understands that if you are going to try to take the steps to start following completely before you understand completely, you can get anxious. It's scary to start taking those steps immediately when you don't understand completely. And so here, Peter tells us what we're to do. All that anxiety, cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. And you can take that step because you know he cares for you. Now, this is the first Sunday in Advent. Advent means coming. And this season can be summed up in the phrase, promise made, promise kept. Promise made, and we're still waiting for Jesus to keep that promise. A promise was made toward the beginning of time and through history that the Messiah was going to come. And we're now approaching that time when we celebrate the fact that, yes, the Messiah came. And after Jesus was here, after he taught, after he uh, preached, after he healed, after he called, he ascended. And as he ascended, and right before he ascended, he told the people that were gathered there, his disciples, to take the good news all over the world. And he made it clear, and he had promised before he left, that he was going to return. And so we are waiting right now, and this is what Advent's like. We are in a time of preparation. We are waiting uh, for the promised Messiah to return. Uh, we're reminded that the world was promised a Messiah, and then the world lived in anticipation and preparation until Jesus came. And we're now living in a time of anticipation and preparation for his promised return. This season is a time of 
self-examination and seeking what we must do to be ready for the Lord's return. And so the big question today is, are you ready? Are you ready? If the trumpet sounded and the Lord descended with a shout 60 seconds from now, would you be one of those who would be caught up in the air to meet him or would you be left behind? Are you ready? Or suppose you were to die tonight. Can you say for certain that you would go to heaven? Not, oh, I hope so, but yes, I would. Are you ready? As your pastor, I have a heavy and a heavenly responsibility to make sure that you have the opportunity to be ready. So I want to first help you identify your own walk, what influence you're actually living under. The beautiful hymn, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross, ends with this statement, Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Now, when you responded to Jesus' call to follow him and you were saved, you did just that. When you were baptized, you made a statement publicly to the Lord, the church, and the world that you were giving him your soul, your life, your all. The water at baptism symbolized dying to self and the world and living to God. In that moment, you were uh, affirming your response to the Lord's words, if anyone wishes to come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. You declared your intention to do just that. You humbled yourself before him. You put him before your pride, your understanding, and any other influence in life. So, how you been doing in keeping up with that commitment? Advent is a time to look at that and honestly ask, honestly, have I lived up to my commitment? And here's what really sad. Many today in church congregations don't even know. We have no idea what influence we're really under. They'll say, oh yeah, I'm ready. I'm the Lord's. And they have no idea I'm going to illustrate it for you this way. How many of you have ever been around a drunk person? Now, notice I didn't ask if, if you've ever been drunk, and I'm just doing you a favor there. What's interesting is if you've ever been around someone who's under the influence of alcohol, they don't always know they're under the influence of alcohol, do they? I'm not drunk. I'm okay. I'm not drunk at all, Ossifer. They don't know they're under the influence, but they're under the influence 
and something from the outside is influencing what comes from there inside. What happens when you're under the influence of alcohol? Well, it influences how you think, it influences what you say, it influences the way you talk, and it influences who you think is attractive. After four drinks or so, the percentage of attractive people in the room goes up. After six or so, you start thinking you're attractive. And the more you drink, you see the uglier you really get, but the more attractive you think you are. When you're under the influence of alcohol, you may not even know you're under the influence. But it even influences who you love. You can meet a total stranger. Here's one guy, I uh, just met another guy, and they're talking, and he says, I love you, man. You're my best friend. When you're under the influence of alcohol, it lowers your guard. You become way more vulnerable to do stupid things that you'd never do otherwise. And you're not always aware that you're under its influence. Now this is my great concern. What if we have been so intoxicated by our culture that we're not even aware that we're under its influence? What if we're so poisoned by the thinking of this world that we don't even realize how far we have drifted from God? To help you think about this, well, I want to do a quick life review with you. Using a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being completely God, 6 being mostly God, and 1 being He doesn't enter into consideration at all, I want you to consider some things. When you look at your own life, what is influencing you? Are you under the influence of God? Is he influencing your decisions, directing your steps, moving your emotions, and leading your every step every single day? Or would you say you're more under the influence of culture, the systems of this world, the thinking of this culture? What is influencing you? Whose influence are you really under? And so let's talk about some different categories. Let's start with what entertains you. Think about whenever you're watching something, enjoying something on TV, or listening to something that entertains you. Would you say you're more under the influence of God? Or are you under the influence of something else? Does it matter what's in the music you're listening to? Does it matter about what you read, what you say? When you look at uh, that which entertains you, you're more under, are you more under culture or are you more under God? Now that's number one and that's number two. And so where do you rank yourself? Do you rank yourself as a 10, as a seven, as a three, where do you, in, as far as your entertainment and music. Now let's talk about your money. Maybe you get paid once a week, every two weeks or so. 
when you receive an increase, when you have money, what influences what you do with your money? Your culture or your God? Let's think about the words that you speak. Think about this past week. Just what you said during the week. Would you say that you were under the influence of God as you were speaking to people? In other words, your words were life-giving, your words were God-honoring, your words were encouraging and pointing people toward eternity and the things that last and the things that matter? Or would you say you're more under culture, meaning, yeah, you kind of just go along with the flow and everybody is griping, so you're griping too. Maybe you cuss and you take the, the Lord's name in vain to fit in with the people around you. Maybe you're tearing people down and your words are angry and sometimes hateful and often critical. They may have been harsh to your spouse or maybe your children. You found yourself gossiping a little bit maybe or talking bad about those liberal idiots or those conservative idiots or whatever other thing. When it comes to your words, would you say that you're more influenced by God? Or would you say they're more influenced by culture? What is influencing? What comes out? How about your thoughts? Well, that brings us through number, that's through number five. Number six, last category. How about your self-worth? How do you feel about yourself? Would you say that you're under the influence of God? Meaning, does it really matter what they say about you or what they think about you? You're secure and you know who you are in Christ. You're valuable because of what God says about you. Or would you say that your self-worth is more under the influence of culture? Meaning, if you don't have the right label on, if you're not wearing the right label, if you're not in the right group, or if your hair isn't having a good day, you don't feel good about yourself, what would you say? Are you more under the influence of God or under the influence of culture? Okay, now that's one through six. So a perfect score would be 60. If you made 60 on it, that's fantastic. If you're any lower than that, you have some work to do. And uh, the Lord is showing you places where you can submit to Him. And as you turn these areas of your life over to Him, His Holy Spirit is more free to come into your being more deeply and be more empowering in your life. Of course, there's more than just this little review. Think about what culture tells us every day. And we just accept it, and we get used to it, and we get sucked into it, and we embrace it, even without uh, realizing that we're under its influence. Culture tells us, promote yourself. It's all about you. If you're going to get anywhere, you've got to put yourself first. Go big. Jesus says, deny yourself. Humble yourself. Consider others better than yourself. Culture says, consume, 
take, accumulate. Jesus says it's way more blessed to give than to receive. You can make a difference if you'll fight against the pool of culture and take a step toward the things of Jesus. Culture says, hate those who aren't like you. And if they hurt you, swing back. Curse those who mistreat you. Jesus says, bless those who curse you. Love those who hate you. You see, it's night and day. It's light and darkness. Culture says, pursue things. Jesus says, pursue me. Pursue eternity. Culture says, pursue happiness. Jesus says, pursue holiness. So how do we live under God in a culture that's increasingly hostile toward God? Peter tells us in this brief testimony we read today, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due time. Casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Peter humbled himself when he let down his nets, didn't he? And oh, what a wonderful result. He humbled himself when he fell on his knees before the Lord and confessed his sinfulness. And oh, what a wonderful result. He humbled himself when he wept bitter tears after denying his Lord. And he was lifted up. Every time he humbled himself, every time he submitted himself, the Lord brought more into his life than he had ever imagined having before. You are at a wonderful point right now in this Advent season. He has shown you areas of your life where you need to humble yourself. And he is showing you those today so that you can give more of yourself to God and in doing so receive more of him into yourself. You want to do that? Now's the best time to get started. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we confess that we've fallen short there are different areas of our lives that we haven't really given to you yet. And Lord, if we think it's important to give one part of our life to you, we know it's important for us to give all of our life to you. And so, Lord, in this time, we ask that you forgive us where we've fallen short and help us from this moment on to live ourselves totally humbled before you, casting all our fear, all our care, 
all our anxiety upon you, knowing that you care for us and that you're our safety net and you're going to be there and you're going to be helping us to do the very thing that you've called us to do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, there's some of you out there that have never asked the Lord into your life. You haven't given himself, you haven't given yourself to him. And you felt him calling you today to give yourself, your soul, your all to him. And now's the time to do that. If you want to do that, just pray with me right now. Oh, Lord. I know you love me, and I just haven't felt worthy of your love. And so I thank you that you loved me so much, even while I was lovable, while I was unlovable and unlovely, that you died on the cross for me. Thank you, Lord, that every sin that I think you hold against me, you've already paid the price for and thank you for paying the price for me. And thank you for forgiving me, for paying the price and washing me now in, in your precious blood and giving me a brand new life. And I want to live this new life for you. I give myself to you. Fulfill your promise now, I pray, and come to me and make your abode in me and live in me as I live in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And Heavenly Father, everybody that prayed that prayer, I pray, Lord, that you will just enter into their lives now and let them know that you love them, that you care for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for being with us today, and uh, we'll see you next week.